This message was presented at the GYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Awesome. I just want to let you know that the Lord heard your prayer, and that's why we're here. I just want to let you know that you're safe here. We, we come from the same backgrounds, we're, we're the same uh, generational Adventists as you are, and yet the Lord has given each one of us a very special story. And, and the stories that we're going to share this uh, weekend will let you know that we're all one, we're all struggling. And you may not struggle with homosexuality, but the reason that you're here is probably because you know somebody who struggles with it. Isn't that fair? All right. And so what we want to do is we want to give you information. Not only do we want to give you opportunities to hear stories about how God can redeem homosexuality by, by public testimonies, but we also want to give you presentations that will lighten your heart and let you know how to relate to people, how to walk side by side with somebody who may be struggling. And hopefully in the end, Jesus, when he comes, his kingdom will be full. Isn't that cool? Amen. 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 So before we begin, let us... Uh, close our eyes and, and ask for the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for, for this opportunity to give voice at GYC, Lord. It's been, it's been a prayer come true, Lord, for several years that we could talk about the things, Lord, that, that we just don't talk about in church culture. Father, open up the doors, not only to this room, but to our hearts, Lord. Let us hear what you have to say. Let us be your mouthpiece, Lord, to tell a dying world about how our Jesus Christ is is powerful, Lord, to overcome every sin temptation. Lord, help us not to be deceived by the enemy and the word that is out there in the world. Give us your power. Give us your grace. Give us your understanding is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is, this is just more than I can almost handle. I want to thank you again for being brave enough to walk past those doors, and I promise you that as you come to each session, you'll feel more and more comfortable. We want to give you opportunities to ask questions. We're going to do a Q&A on Sabbath afternoon, and we're going to give you an opportunity to text any question that you have to this number here, 360-936-8514. And if you want to be more anonymous, we have paper and pens that can be passed out to you. They're at the back of the room. And then you can submit your questions to the uh, greeters in the back, and someone will take those questions and tally them. And on Sabbath afternoon, we'll answer the questions that you have. All right? We also have a booth, it's uh, booth number 724, Coming Out Ministries, and we have some powerful tools also if you're interested later on. So today, the gay puzzle, loving gays to Christ. And what we've done in our church culture, we've done a really good job about explaining the fact that homosexuality is an abomination. We got that message loud and clear. But we didn't hear the message of how to redeem homosexuality. And so we're going to show you testimonies, and we're going to talk a little bit about that also. I want to tell you a little bit about our history with Coming Out Ministries. And I want to introduce to you my uh, colleagues, Ron Woolsey and Wayne Blakely. No, no, come on up, guys. I love this saying, contrary to popular belief, God does not hate anyone who's gay. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So I want to introduce to you some of my colleagues. This is Wayne Blakely and Ron Woolsey. Actually, go ahead and use that. Oh, you're just bouncing off. Okay. All right. 
So go ahead, Wayne, tell us a little bit about your ministry. Each of us have a ministry that's within Coming Out Ministries. And so each one of us not only have our independent ministry, but we're all collectively underneath the Coming Out Ministries um, logo. So Wayne, tell us a little bit about your ministry, please. Well, um, I spent uh, 40 years in the gay culture, and when God convicted my heart, I didn't realize that there were other people um, who were also being met with divine intervention. So uh, slowly but surely, I began, began to come in contact with uh, Ron Wolsey and uh, Vierna Santos and Mike Carducci, and I felt like God had called me to a ministry I, I, through various ways. Actually, a co-worker of mine said, you need to have a ministry. And, I started believing or I started praying about it and I had begun to develop uh, know his love and so it didn't seem to make sense to me uh, to collaborate or join together with other people but then God convicted my heart that the more voices there are the more powerful the message is and so it's a little hard maybe for you to understand but because God met us with divine intervention uh, he then put us together by divine appointment. And so our ministries, our personal ministries, are clear across the United States in different places. But that's why we created um, the umbrella ministry of, of Coming Out Ministries. So if you ever go to comingoutministries.org, you can always see the individual ministries underneath that, and that'll take you to our individual web pages as well. Um, uh, you know, God has done amazing, amazing things I would have never, ever dreamed of, which shows me that when you seek to do God's will instead of your own, he takes charge. He begins to open doors and windows. Um, the weeping prophet. I'm referred to as, as the weeping prophet. <laughs> I get choked up because when I... When, when I think about the years that I lived doing what I wanted to do and living for self and that God hung on to me Amen. for such a time as this, Amen. this is amazing. Uh, I'm Ron Woolsey and uh, I pastor two churches in Arkansas, the Arkansas Louisiana Conference. Um, I came out of the gay life 22 years ago. I had been declared as someone who is unchangeable uh, by uh, ministers in our own denomination. I was referred to as unchangeable, and I certainly was unreachable. But I stand before you today to declare that our God is mighty to save the whosoevers from whatsoever, even to the uttermost. The night I was baptized, I was launched into ministry uh, by his uh, divine guidance, not my own, and um, it's been 22 years now. Um, it was in the year 2000, I believe, that someone from the Review and Herald approached me, uh, hearing of my story and uh, telling me that our church needs resources. We have no resources. Well, amen to that. We never had any resources. That's why we went into the world. We were lost. And we had nowhere to go. We, we didn't know who to talk to or what to read or anything. Um, so I was asked to publish my story. And it has been published. And it's, uh, interestingly, it's entitled, That Kind Can Never Change. Uh, a pastor gave me that title. He didn't give it to me. He said that about me. But um, that kind can never change, can they? And then I was advised uh, by the publisher who, who did publish the book to use a pen name for my protection because another author had his house burned to the ground and 
his churches were picketed and everything, and they were concerned about my protection. So I spent more time coming up with a pen name than writing the book uh, because I wanted the name to have a message, and that is Victor J. Adamson. Now, you think about the name, and you'll get the message. So I have a website ministry, victorjadamson.com. I have my book and various resources, and um, we have been, the Lord brought us together, as Wayne said, uh, a couple years ago, and we're finding that there is so much more impact when you're in a concerted effort than when we're all out there isolated atoms doing, our, doing it ourselves, and people think, well, uh, that's got to be an exception to the rule. Well, friends, if we're Christians, we're all exceptions to the rule. But working together as a team, we're finding that there's much more effectiveness. And I just praise the Lord for this opportunity to be with you folks today. Forgive me for doing this. Um, I, I kind of have the gift of gab too, but I'll try to uh, <laughs> cut it short. I, I want to say right from the very beginning um, that, that the, the conversion, the change that is taking place is not from, from gay to straight. So let's get that out in the open immediately because we want you to quickly understand that this is not about changing a sexual appetite. Um, it's about coming to a point where we're having intimacy with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, guys. So my ministry is called Exceed, which stands for Excellence in Christ Through Evangelism to the Erotically Defiled. My history not only was homosexuality, but I was a sexual addict. And so my ministry extends not just to people that struggle with same-sex attraction, but also people struggling with pornography addiction. And what's really sad is that 70% of the people in this room probably struggle with pornography addiction as well. So the voice that I want to give it through my ministry is also not just about homosexuality, but about redeeming everyone that's sexually defiled. So next we have By Beholding His Love, and I'm going to invite Virna and Lisa, Cece and Daniel to come forward. Use this mic if you would. And Virna, would you not only tell a little bit about your ministry, but then introduce your, your colleagues. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Nice to see you all here. Um, it's been a blessing. Um, actually, By Beholding His Love started when Janet Page of the Central California Conference at that time in 2010 invited me to share my testimony at camp meeting. And when she gave me that phone call and asked me that, I was like, Janet, are you okay? <laughs> um, and it was amazing what God did for me and my sister, Lisa. And um, at that time, and that's where God called us to ministry. And we knelt on our knees and asked the Lord to guide us. And he has. And at that time, I was also looking for others who have been redeemed or going through this process. And I read Wayne Blakely's um, article in the Adventist Review at that time, reaching out. And I reached out to him. And I later on heard Mike Carducci's testimony at uh, GYC Southeast. And I reached out to him by Facebook. And I knew of Ron Woolsey. And so we became co-founders of Coming Out Ministries along with Ron Mike and Wayne and since then God has taken us on a journey and he brought us to Australia this year and this is where Daniel and Cece Kong come in and you see here four of seven of us the ones that are not here with us today is Daniel Rosales David Rosales sorry of Indiana and both of our parents Caroline Loretto that's Daniel's mother and my mother Sandra Santos and I believe my daughter 
at this time who's 12 years old, has a ministry. I believe God is calling her to comfort those children of same-sex marriage. Mm, amen. I have a daughter. I was the first in the state of California to adopt my little girl. Um, and in 2008, the Lord called me and reminded me of the sanctuary message and called me to have a relationship with him. And me and my sister were rebaptized together. And since we've, our attractions have changed, Amen. our desires have changed. And um, I just pray one day that my daughter will have a father here on earth that she could relate to. Amen. As her, her Lord and Savior is her father. So this is Lisa Santos, my sister. Hello, everyone. And um, wow, this place is really packed. Amen. But, um, just hold on to your seats because God's going to show you something great. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll get a bigger and greater picture of our Father, uh, that he seeks us out wherever we are and whoever we are. Amen. Amen. This is Daniel Loretto. Hello. It is so good to see all of you here. It's really exciting um, to see this room full. Um, and you'll get to hear more of my story and Lisa's later. Um, but for now, yeah, just uh, really listen in and, and, and hear this message of redemption and, and hope um, that each of us has found in our own walk with Christ. Amen. And this is Cece Kong. Hi, everyone. Um, <laughs> I feel actually kind of like the odd one out in this group because um, I, I've never actually had any homosexual experience or attraction. But um, so sometimes I feel like unqualified to be in this ministry. But then I remember that, you know, the same brokenness that manifested itself as homosexual, homosexual experiences with um, with my my colleagues is the same brokenness that I experienced and was redeemed from by Christ. So, um, so you know, if even if you feel like um, there's nothing that you can talk to me about on the level of homosexuality because I haven't had that experience, I hope that um, when you come and chat to me or to any of us that we can share something from our story that will reveal the love of God to you. So, Amen. You. Just wanted to emphasize that we. The passion that runs our ministry is the righteousness by faith message by way of the sanctuary and following the life of Christ. So in any sin is sin. And we have victory because Jesus has victory. Come see us at our booth. We look forward to seeing you later. sexuality but sexual brokenness Nicole tell us a little bit about your ministry um, hi I don't know how many of you have ever listened to me on audioverse so some of you know what I do anyway that's my husband handsomest man in the world Alan Parker we uh, we work at Southern and <clears throat> really my <clears throat> excuse me my ministry is just helping people understand how the gospel applies to any kind of struggle any kind of problem that we face because that's what biblical counseling really is, helping people apply the gospel to life. So I know that you will be blessed by the testimonies of my friends here. I've been very blessed by them myself. I knew Ron personally back when he first left homosexuality. 
and I just have seen the Holy Spirit working amazingly in his life all these years, and so I'm very excited to see what God has been doing to bring all of us together to help people come out of darkness. I personally have counseled several people who struggled with homosexuality and seen the gospel work amazingly in their lives. And you know, there are just so many people who struggle with it who never say anything. You wouldn't know them. They're all around you, but they don't say anything about it because it's there and then it ebbs away as they give their lives to Christ. Or even if the attraction remains and comes and goes like waves, you know, don't we all have temptations that come and go? The main thing to know is that temptation is not sin. Amen. And as we give ourselves to God, more and more he transforms us by the renewing of our minds. So I know you're going to be blessed, and I'm excited to see this room full. I've been begging GYC to do something on homosexuality for years. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks. Okay, one last thing. We have a paper that you can pick up in the back, and it has resources. It has all of our websites on it. It also has some uh, other interesting things on it. We have a prayer line that we do every week. Wayne does a prayer line on the West Coast, Thursday mornings. I do the prayer line on the East Coast on Friday morning. Just one example, we have a man who's been praying for his wife who left him two and a half years ago, and this man is faithfully there week after week after week. It's been incredible to encourage and to support other people who are struggling. We have parents who are calling for their children. Um, so again, if you are in a situation, there's power in prayer, and we will also want to invite you to join us on the prayer line. And these papers you can pick up in the back on your way out. So let's get started, shall we? Knowing the difference. We are Seventh-day Adventist Christians, isn't that right? Amen. All right, let, let me say that again. We are Seventh-day Adventist Christians, isn't that right? Amen. That's right, we're people of the book, isn't that right? Sola Scripturis, and then God blessed us with a prophet. And so one of the things that we understand is some of the basics of our doctrines, our beliefs that we got straight out of the Bible, isn't that true? And we accept as Seventh-day Adventists that it's the Bible and the Bible only, right? And so some of the truths that we have, the state of the dead. We also have the sanctuary message, right? And of course we have the Sabbath message. All of this came from deep doctrinal studies of the Bible and, the, and, and spirit of prophecy. And so everything that we are a part of, when I got baptized, I was baptized with a boyfriend and a sexual addiction. Fortunately, nobody knew, but, but this began a journey for me and God had to reveal to me through his word that I had to give up my boyfriend, that I wasn't entitled to keep him. God also said that I wasn't entitled to keep my sexual addiction. And so through my ignorance and through my misunderstanding of how to relate to men, God brought me on this journey. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I didn't understand this process, but as I continued this journey of seeking Jesus Christ and His truth, I came to some mighty revelations. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I want to tell you this one more time. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So ultimately what this says to me is that I am not close to God. I am not entitled to the benefits of being in God's favor. Titus 
Chapter 2, 11 to 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And as a homosexual who is desperately seeking for something that I could sink my teeth into, this verse alone helped me to understand that I was entitled to it. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And let me tell you something personal. What I realize is that if a woman has been married for 40 years and her husband dies, she also was used to having uh, sexual intercourse with her husband because it was God-ordained, isn't that right? And so like me, she has to crucify her flesh as well. She has to live now without feeling the intimacy, without experiencing the touch of her husband. And it doesn't entitle her to go out and to take on another lover, right? And so we all struggle with the flesh, and we are all called accountable to be uh, governors of our bodies and to be self-controlled. Isn't that right? And so what there is, there's a movie that's being promoted. And not only is it going around the college campuses and, the, and, the, uh, and different places all around the world, but it's a story about three couples. And they're very passionate stories. I, I can identify with, with some of what each of these couples are going through. And like them, I tried to keep my boyfriend. I tried to keep my sexual identity. But what I realized is that God was calling it an abomination. And in my ignorance, I didn't understand how could God make me gay and then call me an abomination. And I cried out to him in anger and I said, how dare you make me gay and then tell me I'm an abomination. But in my ignorance, God continued to call me to him. And he said, keep following me, Mike. You don't understand my love. And I'm telling you something, it was a journey at least seven years before I fully understood more of what the Father's love was and what he had available to me. And so I believe that when we believe the lie, that we can accept homosexuality as an alternative lifestyle, even when it goes against God's word, that what you're doing is you're denying the power of Jesus Christ to heal you and to redeem you. And that's why we have five testimonies coming to you this weekend to show you that his power is real. He is not an impotent God, and he can save anyone from anything. Because, you know, the message that we got in Adventism and in Christianity is that homosexuality is an abomination. But quit telling me what I'm doing is wrong and show me that there's a way out. Amen. A lie doesn't become truth. Wrong doesn't become right. And evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by a majority. Isn't that fair? And so, brothers and sisters, again, your salvation is an individual thing. And I challenge you that whatever you believe, whatever your understanding is about homosexuality, because many of you in this room, according to the polls, you believe that it's acceptable and you believe that it shows the love of Christ. But I'm challenging you on an individual basis to look at the scriptures, hear our testimonies, listen to our presentations, and make an educated decision about yourself and about how true love redeems and restores homosexuals. This is really interesting, and I find that it's an incredible quote. It's from a lesbian activist, and she says, Is the gay identity so fragile that it cannot bear the thought that some people may not wish to be gay? Sexual, sexuality is highly fluid, and reversals are theoretically possible. However, habit is refractory, and that means difficult to change. Once the sensory pathways have been blazed and deepened by repetition, a phenomenon obvious in the struggle with obesity, smoking, alcoholism, or drug addiction, but helping gays to learn how to function heterosexually, if they wish, is a perfectly worthy aim. Now this is from somebody that isn't religious or isn't spiritual, and so she's even saying that if you want to change, it is possible, and as a Christian, I can tell you, it is probable. 
God didn't say, stop being gay. He said, stop resisting me. And this was the essence of my journey with him. Cute kid, huh? That's me. And that's where it began. Before I was even a conscious age, I had already rejected masculinity. My dad, he was in the Navy jazz band. He was good looking. He was very macho. He was actually a highway patrolman. And so my dad had a lot of accolades going. He was very uh, uh, influential with the ladies when he would be performing in the bands all around the world in the Navy. And so what happened is he was already sexually defiled. And so my father, when I needed a male role model between the ages of one and three, this development is healthy. The boy child actually leaves the, the safety of the mother and reaches out for the male in the family. If this is a healthy connection, what happens is the little boy identifies his gender as male and then healthy development happens. And that's why little boys don't like to play with girls because girls have cooties. All of that is just gender stamping, gender identity matching. And the same thing for girls. When healthy gender identity takes place, little girls don't like to play with boys either because they have cooties. And so what happens is then when puberty hits, the sex, listen to this, the sex that is the mystery becomes the attraction. Doesn't that make sense? All right, and so anyway, my dad was a state patrolman, and uh, I want to talk about gender identity and defensive detachment. Because my dad was absent at that time, he would be gone sometimes three to six months at a time. And you know what? It was a legitimate thing. He was providing for his family. And so for me, when I needed a male in my life, he wasn't available. But then when he was home, he was a hot-headed Italian. He was abusive. And so you know what? In my own defense, I rejected him as my role model. And so what did that leave? That left femininity. That left my mother. I reverted back to my mom. I wanted to be a girl. I dressed up in girls' clothes. I only wanted to play with uh, girl, uh, girl things with dolls. And so what happened is I thought that God had made a mistake. I thought that if God would change me into a girl, that life would be all right. What I didn't realize is that my rope had become twisted and the enemy used not only the influence of what was going on in my home, but he also used hereditary environment. So on the outside, we look like a normal family, other than my mom's glasses and try not to laugh. <laughs> but I want to talk about the hereditary factor, epigenetics and cellular memory. Inherited to the three to four generations, and this has already been established or substantiated, Exodus 20 verse 5 is the biblical proof that I was desperate for when I became a Christian again. The iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. And I want to break this down just a little bit to help you understand. All right, so the first generation for me was my parents, my mother and my father. And so taking it from my mother's side, talking about how sexual sin can be hereditary. My mother was molested by her father when she was 14 years old. My mother's mother was raped by her stepfather when she was a young girl. She was told that if she didn't have sex with her stepfather, that he would go to her sisters, but he was actually having sex with the whole family. My great-grandmother was a prostitute during the Depression, so you can start to see the connection. The sexual sin was coming right down the pike. On my father's side, again, he already had problems with the ladies. He was already in sexual sin at a very young age, but also his mother her father was actually sent to prison for murdering a man that he thought was having uh, an affair with his wife. So not only do we have the sexual sin coming, but we also have anger management problems, anger issues. And then my grandfather was also a musician, and he was also very popular with the ladies as well. So what I asked God is I wanted to know. I wanted to know why this came to me. Why was it from my earliest thoughts that I was gay? I knew I was different. I couldn't help who I was attracted to. I couldn't help that I wasn't attracted to women. And so what happened at 13 years old is I became uh, addicted to masturbation because for me it was an escape. 
And eventually I stopped trying to fantasize about women and I gave way into the fantasy of men. And this led to a habit that started at 13 and that went into my 40s. And so my first exposure to pornography was at 10 years old. When my parents divorced, my mother gave me my dad's Playboy magazines in the 70s. Can you imagine? And so I can remember the images still to this day, and many of you in here have been slimed too. As a matter of fact, younger people are getting slimed at an even more rapid pace. And what's happening is the minute that you see those images, I've talked to men that are in their 40s, 50s, 70s that remember the images that they saw the very first time that they saw pornography. It changes the mind. It continues to tangle that rope, and it locks you into sexual sin. And I would go as far as to say that the reason why our churches struggle with the male population in our church is because the males are struggling with this as well. We don't have a safe environment where we can come and seek healing. We don't have men's ministries established where we can create an environment where men can get help. And we continue to go to church, locking our garbage in our trunk and coming into church and making sure that we look really good. Is that a fair statement to make? So I want to talk about this one day. I had just come back from a 12-hour trip with my father and his new wife. By the way, my dad was married four times before he passed away. And so we were coming home. And I noticed after a 12-hour trip in the car with my dad and his new wife, which was a mental mess for me, we pull in the driveway and my mother had sold everything that we had the night before. And all that she had left was in the back of my uncle's truck. And we were about to leave on a five-hour trip to Detroit, Michigan, where we were going to live. And so my mother gave us an hour to say goodbye to our friends. And so what happened is I went and got my two best friends. And they said, Mike, we've got a new game we want to play with you. I go, okay. And I'm thinking, man, a new game and I'm going to miss it because I'm moving in an hour. And my two friends in front of me, they started to perform oral sex on each other, and I panicked. I freaked out, and I ran. These are pictures that were taken on that very same day. You can look at that kid, and you would not know what had just happened to that kid, could you? And I can tell you that that was probably one of the worst days of my life. Proverbs 27, verse 7 says that a person that just had a full meal, dessert isn't necessary. But to somebody who's starving, even something bitter can taste sweet. And that was me. I was desperate to be affirmed by masculinity. I moved, I went to nine different schools before I graduated high school. And I can tell you that I never had a steady male that was invested in me, that cared about me, that told me that they loved me, that showed me what intimacy was without having sex. And so I believe that this, this desire, this nurture, it not only affects young boys, it also affects young girls that don't have father images. And the enemy has taken the fathers out of the home. The statistic is that there are more single mothers raising families now than ever. And now that the statistic has gone that way, it can never be reversed. My first sexual experience was in academy. I went to academy my junior year and I had a roommate that, was, uh, that had been in juvenile detention. He recognized something in me. He saw something in me. And I gave in to homosexuality that night. I remember going to bed that night. As a junior in high school, I had given my heart to the Lord. I wanted to serve God with all my heart, but I couldn't deny what was, what was going on inside my head. And when I gave in to homosexuality that night, I went to bed crying knowing that this confirmed that it felt good. It, it confirmed to me that I indeed was gay. And I knew that I was outside of what God's plan was for me, but I didn't know how to fix it. I got caught by a hall monitor, but they didn't help me. They, they spread the room around the school, and so you can imagine that caused even more people to call me sissy, queer, faggot. And so again, what this did, is this made a bigger rip between my own masculinity. I never identified as a male, and what's amazing is I'm 53 years old, and it's still very difficult for me to describe myself as a man. And all of that, to me, points to the fact that way back before I was even conscious that I didn't identify with my father. 
So at 20 years old, I had left, I would, had left Ohio, I moved to Florida, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to get my, my religion back on, right? So I started going back to church, and I found a woman that I worked with who struggled with lesbianism. And we decided that we were going to go back to church and we were going to find out once and for all if there was redemption available for homosexuals. I handpicked an elder that I knew that came from sexual sin and I thought I could trust him. It took me months to find him. And I asked if I could speak to him one night after prayer meeting and he said, sure, Mike, what's going on? I said, well, it has to do with, you know, with women. And before I could say another word, he said something so derogatory about women, I did not feel safe. I knew I couldn't trust him with my secret. And I walked out of church culture that night and I shook my hands and I said, Lord, I'm done. I'm out of here. I can't find any legitimate answers for the problems that I have. This isn't working. I'm struggling with these sexual feelings inside my head and you're not helping me. I've asked you to change me and it didn't happen. I'm out of here. And I dove headfirst into the gay life. 20 years. And so I didn't want to necessarily have sex with men. I just wanted to understand them. I wanted to connect with them. And the only way that I could get connected to a man was if I engaged in sex. And then what, then what happened is whenever you open up that door into sexual sin, whenever you open up that door and let the enemy in, he changes it. And within two years, I had become a sexual addict. The one thing that I never wanted to do, it included going to the bars on an average basis. Dirty bookstores. I walked in all the gay pride parade. As a matter of fact, you could call me the poster child for the, for the gay life because I was a hairdresser and an aerobics instructor. One of the great... <laughs> all right, all right, I'll share something really intimate with you. I was in Miami once and someone came up to me and they said, are you Richard Simmons? <laughs> and so my life had become filled with every, every uh, innocuous encounter, every illicit situation, dirty bookstores. I could pick up somebody in traffic. What was happening is my life was spinning out of control and I was never faithful in the five relationships that I had. My life had totally become the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 it said that every inclination of his thoughts was of his heart was only evil all the time I was never in a situation where I wasn't looking for another illicit situation but let me tell you I had two sisters that were praying for me and never underestimate the power of your prayers as a matter of fact every single one of the testimonies here today or this weekend will tell you that they overcame through the prayers of their mothers, their fathers, their sisters, their friends, their loved ones. And let me tell you something, don't underestimate the power of your prayer. If you want to help somebody, don't get in their face, get on your knees. Amen. And so what happened is the Lord was able to call me when my brother-in-law got baptized. He had left his wife, he had left his family. After three years, I knew he was a creep. I'd see him sneaking a beer in the corner at a wedding or at a party. And so when he was gone, I thought my sister was rid of some dead weight. But what happened is the Lord restored them and renewed them. And when I went to his baptism, I was sitting there smug, sitting in the, in, the, uh, in the church, looking at him, thinking, what does this creep have to say? And he came forward, and it was the Holy Spirit that moved me. And he came forward, and he made an open confession of what he had done. I knew that that wasn't my brother-in-law. And the Holy Spirit had started to move in my heart. I returned back to Florida. My other sister, who worked side-by-side side with me, invited me to an evangelistic series. And at the end of the series, the pastor made a call, and it was a long call. And I sat there with a boyfriend and a sexual addiction. And the pastor said, for some of you tonight, you'll walk away and this will be the last chance that God will ever have to reach you. Some of you will walk away and you'll never accept that invitation again. And I knew that was me. I was so broken sitting in that pew and I knew I wasn't good. I knew that I was a disgusting human being and I couldn't go forward. I said, Lord, I give you my heart, but I can't go forward. 
and the next conscious thought is I was up front and my sister was beside me and I gave my heart to the Lord. Well, it's not over yet, but the next, that night I was out in the parking lot with my sister and she said, what are you going to do with your boyfriend? And I said, nothing, I'm gay. I was born this way. I tried to change. I asked God to change me and he didn't do it. But the one thing I know is that Jesus loves me for who I am. And my sister, praise God, she stopped. And the next morning, you might not agree, but I was baptized with a boyfriend and a sexual addiction. It wasn't holy water. I didn't come up out of that water and I wasn't redeemed. As any of you will know, raise your hand if you've been baptized. All right, so the minute you got out of the water, 10 minutes later, you can find yourself steeped in temptation and sin again. Isn't that fair to say? And so, you know, we, we misunderstand the, or we misrepresent the gospel to some people when we think, oh, good, brother, you got baptized, you're all done, right? That's really when you start to begin. I didn't understand. I didn't understand how to relate to men. The only way I related to men was through sex. So how are you going to tell me that my Jesus was a savior and that he doesn't have sex with men? And so this was difficult for me, but I kept walking with him. And as I kept walking with him, I would fall. And sometimes I did it intentionally because you know what? I've been hurt by men all my life. I've been rejected by them. I've been called names. And sometimes I would act out on purpose and I say, Jesus, do you still want me? And every time he said yes, Mike, get back up, he'd say, I still want you. I still need you for my kingdom. And what he would do is he would pour over me with such love and compassion that eventually I wanted him more than I wanted the sex. And it wasn't an easy process, brothers and sisters. And what I had to do is I needed tools. I needed ways to understand what was going on. And I also needed to know if the power of God was available to me at any time. I had a salon with my ex-lover. We had nine hairdressers. I was making a great living, driving a Mercedes. I was going around the world with friends of mine. I had influential clients. I was having a great time. And the Lord still was able to catch my heart. Eventually, he gave me freedom over masturbation and pornography. And let me tell you, that's the biggest hallelujah I can tell you. And what he did is eventually he started to take away not only the addictive drive to hook up sexually, but then he gave me that freedom over the porn. And I went several months without the, even the temptation of men or women. And then the Lord delivered me to the country. He actually gave me a, a house that has a salon in the basement. Isn't that powerful? God is good. <laughs> And so for the last nine years, that's where I worked. But brothers, I would love to say that that was where it ended. But I'm telling you again, once I got to the country, I wondered if memory was indeed intact. And what I found myself was I was struggling again in sexual sin. I had tempted fate. I wondered if memory was still intact, that it, had God taken all that away. And when I tempted that fate, it brought in this, this tidal wave, this tsunami of sexual sin again in my life. And I struggled again. This text or this quote, I'm telling you, it was riveting and it took me to my knees and some of you may have the same effect in this room. It says, those who are controlled by their passions cannot be followers of Christ. They are too much devoted to the service of their master, the originator of every evil, to leave their corrupt habits and to choose the service of Christ. And you know what? I've had to share that text with pastors. I've had to share that text with elders in the church. And I needed to know how the Lord was going to be able to help me. And I went to a seminar where they just took this text. And let me tell you, I'm just a hairdresser, and you've got to keep it simple for me. And this one still works for me now. It says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, verse 5. And what I didn't realize is I thought I could have Jesus in my pocket, and that was good enough. Or I thought maybe I could just have Jesus in my hand, and that was good enough. He went with me wherever I went, right? 
But no, he said, I need to be inside you, Mike. I need permission to come inside and start changing your mind. Because if I allow the mind of Christ inside my mind, he gives me different thoughts. He's not homosexual. He's not sexually attracted, right? And so if I allow his mind inside my mind, not only does he change my thoughts, then he starts changing my words. And then he starts changing my actions. But I'm in charge. And the first word is the only power that I have. It says, let. And it's an invitation. It says, give me. Give me permission to come inside your mind. Let me change your thoughts, right? And so as I started to put this into action, one day I was stepping into the shower and, and, the, and the thought to, to give in to masturbation came and, and I said, Lord, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to give you permission to take my thoughts because if you don't, I'm going to indulge it just like I have. And you know what was amazing? Is my next conscious thought was about baseball and I hate baseball. What was amazing is God did exactly what he said. I didn't have to fast for five days. I didn't have to go outside of the shower and pull out my Bible and read every text that was available to me. I claimed the word of God as far as I knew how. I gave him everything that I could possibly do, and he did the rest. And it's the same, same uh, promise to you as well, whatever you struggle with. He promises to deliver immediately. And so once God gave me the victory over masturbation and pornography again, then what I didn't realize... And I hope that you'll catch this because for anyone who believes that homosexuality is an alternative lifestyle, I truly am a testimony to let you know right now that you are under demonic control. I don't think you understand because I certainly didn't. Being addicted to masturbation from the time I was 13 until in my 40s, all of a sudden now that I got the victory, I started to have homoerotic dreams. And I thought that's my right to indulge that, right? I can't control my dreams. But it wasn't until one night when subconsciously in my dream, I turned down an invitation to have sex with this guy. I just, I just chose not to kiss this guy. And imagine this guy's coming towards me, and he's really close to my face. And all of a sudden, when I say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore, all of a sudden, I was looking into the eyes of Satan himself, and he was two inches from my face, and he was angry. And I could look in his eye, and I could see that he absolutely wanted me dead. And he was angry because I turned down the invitation to indulge a dream? And I can tell you now that whenever I go to bed without surrendering every thought that I've had during the day, I still give Satan a foothold into my dreams. Because even though God has given me the victory over the physical, sin originates in the mind. Isn't that right? God wants to cleanse us from all of that. And so if we allow homosexuals to bring their lovers into church and we start letting them teach Sabbath school, you're allowing demons to come in with them and to engage with your children and to engage with yourself. And what we're doing is not only will we being influenced by the world and what's outside, but now we're also teaching other people how to give in to those demons as well. Isn't that right? And so God is powerful. He says, no, don't, don't call the good evil and the evil good. Stand up for what's evil because by doing so, you may be helping someone. Sorry, you may be helping a brother. You may be helping a sister who struggle. But if we say that the message of love means just come on in and bring your girlfriend or boyfriend with you, then what we're doing is we're basically watering down the message of the gospel and we make Christ impotent. God uses people. God uses men. The only thing that was going to help me to restore to me was to be able to give me opportunities to have um, situations with men that wasn't sexual. And so God used men that were in my church. And let me tell you, these guys, they could look at me and they could say, oh, we got a new, new uh, lamb for our flock, right? They could see that I had issues. You can probably see my residue now. 
But one of the things that I like to tell people is you may see effeminate qualities in me. You may see some of the residue of my colleagues and my friends. But let me tell you something. If somebody broke a leg, right, and they go through extensive surgery, and then they have to do rehab for about six or eight months, the fact is is they may walk with a limp for the rest of their life. Isn't that true? But the fact that they walk at all is still a sign of healing, and I'm here to testify, don't judge a man by the way he talks or the way he walks, all right? And so what happened is God started to put people in my life. I went to church. I went to a big church, and two times from the pulpit, I mentioned that I struggled with sexual addiction. And you know what? They yanked me off that platform pretty quick. But what happened is two men in secret invited me to lunch. And because I wasn't used to men, you know, a, a trying to get my attention, I really thought that maybe it was like a multi-level marketing scheme. But when we sat down, <laughs> but when we sat down, these men both shared with me that they struggled with masturbation. One man for 35 years, his wife knew, his children even knew. The other man, he had just had a baby and his wife caught him on the internet and she wanted a divorce. And these men were broken and they didn't know how to fix it. And so I sat down with these men and what had been available to me was the book Ministry of Healing. And let me tell you, if you need help, start reading the first page because on the first page alone it talks about how the same Jesus that came 2,000 years ago that healed men completely completely is the same Jesus Christ that lives now he wants to restore men physically spiritually and mentally and you know what for someone who was struggling I took that as a promise and I held God accountable and he can take it you can put that pressure on him because he can handle it right and so what these men and I did is they knew that I was struggling with the demonic dreams at night. And so imagine having a brother call me up in the morning and say, Mike, how you doing? Are you still struggling? Mike, did you have a dream last night? And so that was healing in itself. He didn't know what he was doing for me. But what I was doing for him was helping him also because I was leading him to the same things that helped me. And he was gaining victory even though he wasn't homosexual. And so let me tell you something. Our church has a responsibility. These meetings should not be taking place in my home. They should be taking place in your church. And if we create a safe environment for our members to come and get that healing, imagine what we could do to your community. Imagine what we could do to the world. And so I want to tell you, iron sharpens iron. It wasn't going to be through another sister in the church who put her arm around me and said, come on, Mike, you can come with me to the women's ministry luncheon. That wasn't going to work because I was all too familiar with that. Praise the Lord, we have time. So I want to tell you a story, a very touching story for me. And I put this image up on the screen because imagine moving to the country after being a city slicker, you know, uh, to swing an ax is not my idea of fun. And it's a little terrifying, especially to a short bald guy. And so <laughs> there's a guy I go to church with. He's like the definition of masculinity. He's six foot four. He has a construction company. He's got a beautiful wife. He's got, you know, three beautiful daughters that are raised and, and he makes a lot of money. I mean, to me, I'd look at him and I'd say, that's a success right? And so we had this deal. He was going to get me firewood and I was going to cut his wife's hair, right? And so <laughs> I did my part, but then he called me on the phone and he said, Mike, come on over. You can help me cut the wood. And I'm like, oh, and I didn't want to touch that chainsaw, but I prayed that morning and I said, Lord, I know I need this. I don't want this. I don't seek this, but I'll do it. And Lord, if I cut off my leg, it'll be on you, right? Whatever happens, <laughs> I'll suffer for you. And so I went over to my friend's house, and he took the chainsaw and he said, Mike, I'm going to have you drive a skid steer. Do you know what a skid steer is? Yeah, because y'all are city slickers too. <laughs> a skid steer is kind of like a little tractor thing. It's got a shovel in the front and it picks up things. And I would pick up logs almost as long as this room. 
and, and he gave me five minutes to work the joysticks and to figure out how to turn this machine, how to lift the shovel, right, how to pick up the logs. And my job was to pick up the log and then turn it into the dump truck and then he was going to use a chainsaw to cut that off. And I'm sorry, I keep going because I think you need to know uh, how that goes. So my job was to take the spray paint also and, and to spray and mark the logs, right? My job was to mark the logs where we were going to cut them so they would fit in my furnace. And so we worked all morning. He took the wood to my house. He dumped it off in my front yard and he goes, listen, Mike, I've got to take off, but can you split this wood yourself? And I'm thinking, good, you know, I don't want any guy to see me swinging an ax and thinking, whoa, sissy boy, right? Or that was what was going through my mind. So I was kind of relieved. But before my friend left, he said, he was talking about his father. And he talked about one day when he was taken to jail because he vandalized his dad's workplace. And so here he's sitting in jail all night long. His father comes to bail him out the next morning. And the only thing that his father said to him is he looked at him and he said, are you hungry? Isn't that something? His dad didn't chastise him. He knew he had punished enough by having to sit in jail. He knew that there was going to be a restitution to be made. And he asked his son if he was hungry. And my friend started to cry. This macho man, this guy who had the world by the tail, right? He, tears are coming down his face because of his father. And then he told me that on his father's deathbed, that he took his, father's, or his son's hand and he said, Mark, promise me that we'll be in heaven together. Promise me that our whole family will be in heaven together. And the tears again started to flow on his face. And I said, I'm sorry, Mark, I don't understand. I don't relate to a father like that. My father passed away six years ago in February. And what was I was hoping is that my, now that my father was a head elder in his church, and I was an elder in my church, I was hoping that one day my father and I were going to reconcile. I was living for the day that when my dad and I would come together and my father would say, Mike, let's put this all in the past. Let's build something new, right? And every time that the Holy Spirit told me to go see my father, I went, even reluctantly, I would go and I would say, Lord, I don't want to see him. I don't want to interact with him because every time I did, it was more emasculating comments. It was more abusive behavior. And I would come away and I would act out sexually. And so the last time that I saw my father, I went to his church against my, my better, not better judgment, but against my will. And I said, God, I don't want to go. And he kept pressing, Mike, I really want you to go see your father. And so when I saw my father that day at church, I went to the fellowship dinner afterwards. My dad did the sermon. He taught the Sabbath school. did a great job. And so what happened is my nephew was sitting on one side of me and my stepbrother on the other side. And we were paying, playing games. We were paying, tickled each other, right? And so my father, who was, you know, standing behind us, he reaches in and he grabs my knee, trying to, trying to play with us, right? And I'm thinking, oh, great, dad's going to play, right? Maybe this is going to be some of the healing. So I turned, and I'm sitting in a chair, and he's standing behind me. And I grabbed my dad's knee, and he jerked. And my dad came down with his hand on top of my head so hard. Not only did it hurt physically, but it was another emasculating blow from my father. And so I got up out of the chair. I walked out of church. I got in my car. And I said, God, are you happy? Are you happy? Did what you said again. Now I've got to go through the process of forgiveness. Now I've got to chalk it up to another situation of emasculating behavior from my dad. Is this ever going to work out? And three months later, my dad was dead. Died on the side of the road. But what happened is as my sister was holding me outside of church that day, and she had told me that my dad passed away, it was as if the Holy Spirit was saying, this is why I had you go see your dad because I had done everything that my heavenly father had told me to do. I had done what he asked me to do, and he said, you are now free. I had given my dad every opportunity to work this out, and if he's in heaven, I know that I'll be safe, I know that it'll work out, but that I listened to my heavenly father, but I didn't get that affirmation that my friend did. 
And so my friend Mark, he gets up and he leaves. He's got to work. I'm chopping. I'm splitting this wood. And, and you know, it didn't look pretty, I'm sure. But all of a sudden, I, I got pretty good. Whack. You know, I could split that wood in one, in one hit. And I don't know if you've ever split wood, but that's pretty good. And so as I was sitting there, I go, Lord, this is my most masculine moment, right? This short little bald guy <laughs> jumping up and down in his front yard. And I said, wow, this is awesome. You're affirming my masculinity with my friend Mark. And then all of a sudden, I look down and I see there is pink on my wood. The wood that I'm stacking up in front of my house is covered in pink. And I'm sitting there laughing and I go, of course, my wood would have to be pink, right? <laughs> but listen to this, brothers and sisters. This is, this is, in my opinion, the sum of the whole matter. The Holy Spirit then spoke to me and said, Mike, you're the wood. And the pink is the artificial. The pink is the overspray. That's what the world identified you with. That's what the world put on you. But I made you wood. I didn't make you that pink. And he said, I made you male. Isn't that what the Bible says? He made the male and female. From the earliest thoughts, I thought that God had made a mistake. And he said, no, you were praying for the wrong thing. Don't pray to be healed, to be straight. Pray that you will know Jesus Christ in an intimate way, that you'll get the satisfaction from him. Let me change your attractions. Give your attractions to me. So can you start to see the problem that we have in society now? Because if you are walking around and you don't know that intimacy with Jesus Christ, then doesn't it make sense that you can't give something that you don't have? And so if you're not experiencing it, then it makes sense that you would have to say to someone homosexual, bring your boyfriend into church and we'll make you a leader, right? We'll put you in, in charge of song service because what we're doing is we can't give what we don't have. And my challenge for you this weekend, it's really, our, our, our whole thing is not just about homosexuality, it's really about restoring us to the very intimacy of a loving Savior who can do it all for you. He's not just a good guy, he's powerful. And if you give him the opportunity, he wants to take your thoughts, he wants to give you victory over your temptations. And the younger you get it, the more blessed your life will be. Amen, amen. amen. So anyway, uh, as I conclude, this is amazing. We got through that in plenty of time. And uh, I just want to thank you for, for listening. I want to let you know also, again, remind you that we have this resource sheet that's out in the back. We also would come to your churches if you'd invite us. Uh, whether you take us individually or collectively, we're available. That's what we live to do because Revelation 12:11 says... That's right. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives even unto the death. And let me just explain that a little bit. We'll have your questions, all right? Just last year, I was 52 years old. Not only do I have issues with my dad, I also had issues with my mother. And so I had gone to um, my home church that I had left when I was 20 years old, right? After 20 years of living in the homosexual lifestyle and coming back in, this church invited me to give my presentation. My mother's not a Seventh-day Adventist. And so I asked my mom if she would come and listen to my testimony. And she'd already heard the part where she had given me pornography. And I had to make a deal with her that I wouldn't share anything that would embarrass her. As a matter of, a matter of fact, she said, don't say my name and don't point me out. And I said, okay. As a matter of fact, when I went to live with my dad when I was 15 years old, it wasn't until I was 33 years old that my mother admitted to me that the only way that she could handle the fact that I went to live with my dad was she had to pretend that I was dead. So imagine at 33, finally hearing the words that confirmed how she had treated me and how I felt. So again, remember, I'm the dead son. 
So here I am, 51 years old, my mother sitting in the congregation, and I told every ugly story that I've told you. And so at the end of the whole thing, I, I said, does anyone have any questions or, or comments to make? And my mother, who said, don't call me out, don't say my name, my mother stood up, and she pointed at me, and she told the congregation, she goes, that's my son. I want to tell you something else. The power of testimonies in our church, you have a testimony but you're too afraid to tell it, and I don't blame you. But let me tell you on a personal basis, when you finally, and I'm not saying that, that it's something that you could do, I'm, I'm saying it's something that you should do. Because when you finally start to air the dirty laundry that you've gone through, not in a sensational way, not in a way to educate people or to say, look at me, look what I've gone through, but when you show the redemption of Jesus Christ, you give power to the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? Because remember, it's a combination of two. It's not only the blood of Jesus that saves us, it's the word of your testimony because what you are is you're an example of that power to restore and to redeem someone. And I can guarantee you that if in your church, you started sharing your testimonies and what you struggle with, not only would you experience the latter rain and the power of Jesus Christ to come into your church in a mighty way, but I believe that that's the cleansing that Jesus wants to give all of us to change this world so that he can come. Doesn't that make sense? And so again, this, this weekend, as you uh, listen to our testimonies, I pray that you will be touched by that and start to realize the power that you possess within yourself just by allowing Jesus to not only make those changes in your life, but to come to a legitimate understanding that you can find help through Jesus Christ and his power. So could we just bow our heads to pray? Father, I thank you for the opportunity again to, um, to be warmed by this congregation, to be moved by uh, the support that I feel here. But I know, Lord, I know, Lord, that there are many people that have many questions and this is just the beginning. We're going to continue this. We're going to move this forward, Lord, in a way that I know your Holy Spirit will touch our hearts, that will continue to answer the questions that we have. And so, Father, I pray that you have pricked their hearts, that you've opened up um, the desire, Lord, for us to know more, not only about how to redeem people that struggle with same-sex attraction, but Lord, please redeem us individually. Lord, let the cleansing happen to each one of us so that we can understand more about how to relate to people, how to walk side by side with people. Give us an experience. Unravel the knot that Satan has, has, has knotted up in our lives. And I pray, Father, that when you come, you will see everyone in this room and everyone that, that our testimony can touch. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.